0: Volume 2, section 5 of the Life of Charlotte Bronte. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julie von Walchem The Life of Charlotte Bronte by Elizabeth Glaggan Gaskell. Volume 2, section 5. Chapter 3. An article on Vanity Fair and Jane Eyre had appeared in the Quarterly Review of December 1848 some weeks after Miss Bronte wrote to her publishers asking why it had not been sent to her and conjecturing that it was unfavorable she repeated her previous request that whatever was done with the laudatory, all critiques adverse to his novel might be forwarded to her without fail "'The quarterly review was accordingly sent. "'I am not aware that Miss Bronte took any greater notice of the article "'than to place a few sentences out of it in the mouth of a hard and vulgar woman in Shirley, "'where they are so much in character that few have recognised them as a quotation. "'The time when the article was read was good for Miss Bronte. "'She was numb to all petty annoyances by the grand severity of death.' Otherwise she might have felt more keenly than they deserved the criticisms which, while striving to be severe, failed in logic owing to the misuse of propositions, and have smarted under conjectures as to the authorship of Jane Eyre, which, intended to be accrued, were merely flippant. But flippancy takes a grave in name when directed against an author by an anonymous writer. We call it, then, cowardly insolence every one has a right to form his own conclusion respecting the merits and demerits of a book i complain not of the judgment which the reviewer passes on jane eyre opinions as to its tenancy varied then as they do now while i write i receive a letter from a clergyman in america in which he says we have in our sacred of sacreds a special shelf highly adorned as a place we delight to honour of novels which we recognize as having had a good influence on character, our character. foremost is Jane Eyre. Nor do I deny the existence of a diametrically opposite judgment, and so, as I trouble not myself about the reviewer's style of composition, I leave his criticisms regarding the merits of the work on one side. But when, forgetting the chivalrous spirit of the good and noble Southie, who said, in reviewing anonymous works myself, when I have known the authors, I have never mentioned them, taking it for granted they had sufficient reasons for avoiding the publicity. The quarterly reviewer goes on into gossiping conjectures as to whom Curra Bell really is, and pretends to decide on what the writer may be from the book. I protest with my whole soul against such want of Christian charity." Not even the desire to write a smart article, which shall be talked about in London, when the faint mask of the anonymous can be dropped at pleasure, if the cleverness of the review be admired, not even this temptation can excuse the stabbing cruelty of the judgment. Who is he that should say of an unknown woman—she must be one who, for some sufficient reason, has long forfeited the society of her sex Is he one who has led a wild and struggling and isolated life, seeing few but plain and outspoken Northerns, unskilled in the euphemisms which assist the polite world to skim over the mention of vice? Has he striven through long weeping years to find excuses for the lapse of an only brother, and through daily contact with the poor lost profligate, been compelled into a certain familiarity with the vices that his soul abhors? has he through trials close following in dread march through his household sweeping the hearthstone bare of life and love still striven hard for strength to say it is the lord let him do what seems to him good and sometimes striven in vain until the kindly light returned if through all these dark waters the scornful reviewer have passed clear refined free from stain, with a soul that has never in all its agonies cried, Lama sabactani." Still, even then, let him pray with the publican, rather than judge with the Pharisee. January tenth, 1849 Anne had a very tolerable day yesterday, and a pretty quiet night last night, though she did not sleep much. Mr. Wheelhouse ordered the blister to be put on again. She wore it without sickness. I have just dressed it, and she has risen and come downstairs. She looks somewhat pale and sickly. She has had one dose of the cod liver oil. It smells and tastes like train oil. I am training to hope, but the day is windy, cloudy, and stormy. My spirits fall at intervals very low. Can I look where you counsel me to look beyond earthly tempests and sorrows? I seem to get strength, if not consolation. It will not do to anticipate. I feel that hourly. In the night I awake and long for morning, then my heart is wrung. Papa continues much the same. He was very faint when he came down to breakfast. Dear E, your friendship is some comfort to me i am thankful for it i see few lights through the darkness of the present time but amongst them the constancy of a kind heart attached to me is one of the most cheering and serene january fifteenth eighteen forty nine i can scarcely say that anne is worse nor can i say she is better she varies often in the course of a day yet each day is passed pretty much the same. The morning is usually the best time, the afternoon and the evening the most feverish. Her cough is the most troublesome at night, but it is rarely violent. The pain in her arm still disturbs her. She takes the cod liver oil and carbonate of iron regularly. She finds them both nauseous, but especially the oil. Her appetite is small indeed, do not fear that I shall relax in my care of her. She is too precious not to be cherished with all the fostering strength I have. Papa, I am thankful to say, has been a good deal better this last day or two. As to your queries about myself, I can only say that if I continue as I am, I shall do very well. I have not yet got rid of the pains in my chest and back. They oddly return with every change of weather— and are still sometimes accompanied with a little soreness and hoarseness, but I combat them steadily with pitch-plasters and tea. I should think it silly and wrong, indeed, not to be regardful of my own health at present. It would not do to be ill now. I avoid looking forward or backward, and try to keep looking upward. This is not the time to regret, dread, or weep. What I have— and ought to do, is very distinctly laid out for me. What I want and pray for is strength to perform it. The days pass in a slow, dark march. The nights are the test, the sudden wakings from restless sleep, the revived knowledge that one lies in her grave, and another not at my side, but in a separate and sick bed. However, God is over all. January 22nd, 1849 Anne really did seem to be a little better during some mild days last week, but to-day she looks very pale and languid again. She perseveres with the cod-liver oil, but still finds it very nauseous. She is truly obliged to you for the soles for her shoes, and finds them extremely comfortable. I am to commission you to get her just such a respirator as Mrs. Blank had, She would not object to give a higher price, if you thought it better. If it is not too much trouble, you may likewise get me a pair of soles. You can send them and the respirator when you send the box. You must put down the price of all, and we will pay you in a post-office order. With the ring hides was given to you. I have sent blank, neither letter nor parcel. I had nothing but drawing news to write, so preferred that others should tell her. "'I have not written to a blank, either. "'I cannot write, except when I am quite obliged. "'February eleventh, 1849. "'We received the box and its contents quite safely to-day. "'The pen-wipers are very pretty, "'and we are very much obliged to you for them. "'I hope the respirator will be useful to Anne, "'in case she should ever be well enough to go out again.' She continues very much in the same state. I trust not greatly worse, though she is becoming very thin. I fear it would be only self-delusion to fancy her better. What effect the advancing season may have on her, I know not. Perhaps the return of really warm weather may give nature a happy stimulus. I tremble at the thought of any change to cold wind or frost would that march were well over her mind seems generally serene and her sufferings hitherto are nothing like amelie's the thought of what may be to come grows more familiar to my mind but it is a sad dreary guest march sixteenth eighteen forty nine we have found the past week a somewhat trying one it has not been cold, but still there have been changes of temperature, whose effect Anne has felt unfavourably. She is not, I trust, seriously worse, but her cough is at times very hard and painful, and her strength rather diminished than improved. I wish the month of March was well over. You are right in conjecturing that I am somewhat depressed, at times I certainly am. It was almost easier to bear up when the trial was at its crisis than now. The feeling of Emily's loss does not diminish as time wears on. It often makes itself most acutely recognized. It brings, too, an inexpressible sorrow with it, and then the future is dark. Yet I am well aware it shall not do either to complain or sing, and I strive to do neither strength i hope and trust will yet be given in proportion to the burden but the pain of my position is not one likely to lessen with habit its solitude and isolation are oppressive circumstances yet i do not wish for any friends to stay with me i could not do with any one not even you to share the sadness of the house it would wreck me intolerably Meantime, judgment is still bland with mercy. and sufferings still continue mild. It is my nature, when left alone, to struggle on with a certain perseverance, and I believe God will help me. Anne had been delicate all her life, a fact which perhaps made them less aware than they would otherwise have been of the true nature of those fatal first symptoms yet they seemed to have lost but little time before they sent for the first advice that could be procured she was examined with the stethoscope, and the dreadful fact was announced that her lungs were affected and that tubercular consumption had already made considerable progress a system of treatment was prescribed which was afterwards ratified by the opinion of dr forbes for a short time they hoped that the disease was arrested. Charlotte, herself ill with a complaint that severely tried her spirits, was the ever watchful nurse of this youngest last sister. One comfort was that Anne was the patientest, gentlest invalid that could be. Still, there were hours, days, weeks of inexpressible anguish to be borne, under the pressure of which Charlotte could only pray, and pray she did, write earnestly. Thus she writes on March 24th. Anne's decline is gradual and fluctuating, but its nature is not doubtful. In spirit she is resigned. At heart she is, I believe, a true Christian. May God support her, and all of us, through the trial of lingering sickness, and aid her in the last hour when the struggle which separates soul from body must be gone through. We saw Emily torn from the midst of us, when our hearts clung to her with intense attachment. She was scarce buried when Anne's health failed. These things would be too much if reason unsupported by religion were condemned to bear them alone. I have cause to be most thankful for the strength that has hitherto been vouchsafed both to my father and to myself. God, I think, is especially merciful to old age, and for my own part, trials which in perspective would have seemed to me quite intolerable when they actually came, I endured without prostration. Yet I must confess that in the time which has elapsed since Emily's death, there have been moments of solitary, deep, inert affliction, far harder to bear than those which immediately followed our loss. The crisis of bereavement has an acute pang which goads to exertion. The desolate after-feeling sometimes paralyzes. I have learned that we are not to find solace in our own strength. We must seek it in God's omnipotence. Fortitude is good, but fortitude itself must be shaken under us to teach us how weak we are. All through this illness of Anne's, Charlotte had the comfort of being able to talk to her about her state, a comfort rendered inexpressibly great by the contrast which it presented to the recollection of Emily's rejection of all sympathy. If a proposal for Anne's benefit was made, Charlotte could speak to her about it, and the nursing and dying sister could consult with each other as to its desirability. I have seen but one of Anne's letters— it is the only time we seem to be brought into direct personal contact with this gentle, patient girl. In order to give the requisite preliminary explanation, I must state that a family of friends to which E. belonged proposed that Anne should come to them in order to try what change of air and diet and the company of kindly people could do towards restoring her to health. In answer to this proposal, Charlotte writes. March 24th. I read your kind note to Anne, and she wishes me to thank you sincerely for your friendly proposal. She feels, of course, that it would not do to take advantage of it, by quartering an invalid upon the inhabitants of But she intimates, there is another way in which you might serve her, perhaps with some benefit to yourself as well as to her. Should it, a month or two hence, be deemed advisable that she should go either to the seaside, or to some inland watering-place, and should papa be disinclined to move, and I consequently obliged to remain at home? She asks, could you be her companion? Of course I need not add, that in the event of such an arrangement being made, you would be put to no expense. This, dear E., is Anne's proposal. I make it to comply with her wish— But for my own part, I must add that I see serious objections to your accepting it, objections I cannot name to her. She continues to vary, is sometimes worse, and sometimes better, as the weather changes. But on the whole, I fear she loses strength. Papa says her state is most precarious. She may be spared for some time, or a sudden alteration might remove her before we are aware were such an alteration to take place while she was far from home, and alone with you it would be terrible. The idea of it distresses me inexpressibly, and I tremble whenever she alludes to the project of a journey. In short, I wish we could gain time, and see how she gets on. If she leaves home it certainly should not be in the capricious month of May, which is proverbially trying to the weak." June would be a safer month. If we could reach June, I should have good hopes of her getting through the summer. Write such an answer to this note as I can show Anne. You can write any additional remarks to me on a separate piece of paper. Do not consider yourself as confined to discussing only our said affairs. I am interested in all that interests you. From Anne Bronte April 5th 1849. My dear Miss Blank, I thank you greatly for your kind letter, and your ready compliance with my proposal, as far as the will can go at least. I see, however, that your friends are unwilling that you should undertake the responsibility of accompanying me under present circumstances. But I do not think there would be any great responsibility in the matter. I know, and everybody knows, THAT YOU WOULD BE AS KIND AND HELPFUL AS ANY ONE COULD POSSIBLY BE, AND I HOPE I SHOULD NOT BE VERY TROUBLESOME. IT WOULD BE AS A COMPANION, NOT AS A NURSE, THAT I SHOULD WISH FOR YOUR COMPANY. OTHERWISE I SHOULD NOT VENTURE TO ASK IT. AS FOR YOUR KIND AND OFTEN REPEATED INVITATION TO BLANK, PRAY, GIVE MY SINCERE THANKS TO YOUR MOTHER AND SISTERS, BUT TELL THEM I COULD NOT THINK OF INFLICTING MY PRESENCE UPON THEM AS I NOW AM. It is very kind of them to make so light of the trouble, but still there must be more or less, and certainly no pleasure, from the society of a silent invalid stranger. I hope, however, that Charlotte will by some means make it possible to accompany me, after all. She is certainly very delicate, and greatly needs a change of air and scene to renovate her constitution. And then your going with me before the end of May is apparently out of the question, unless you are disappointed in your visitors, but I should be reluctant to wait till then, if the weather would at all permit an earlier departure. You say May is a trying month, and so say others. The earlier part is often cold enough, I acknowledge, but according to my experience, we are almost certain of some fine warm days in the latter half, when the laburnums and lilacs are in bloom, whereas June is often cold and July generally wet.' but I have a more serious reason than this for my impatience of delay. The doctors say that change of air or removal to a better climate would hardly ever fail of success in conceptive cases if the remedy were taken in time. But the reason why there are so many disappointments is that it is generally deferred till it is too late. Now, I would not commit this error, and to save the truth, Though I suffer much less from pain and fever than I did when you were with us, I am decidedly weaker and very much thinner. My cough still troubles me a good deal, especially in the night, and, what seems worse than all, I am subject to great shortness of breath on going upstairs or any slight exertion. Under these circumstances I think there is no time to be lost. I have no horror of death, if I thought it inevitable. I think i could quietly resign myself to the prospect in the hope that you dear miss blank would give as much of your company as you possibly could to charlotte and be a sister to her in my stead but i wish it would please god to spare me not only for papa's and charlotte's sakes but because i long to do some good in the world before i leave it i have many schemes in my head for future practice humble and limited indeed But still I should not like them all to come to nothing, and myself to have lived to so little purpose. But God's will be done. Remember me respectfully to your mother and sisters, and believe me, dear Miss Blank, yours most affectionately, Anne Bronte. It must have been about this time that Anne composed her last verses, before the desk was closed, and the pen laid aside for ever. One I hoped that with the brave and strong my portioned task might lie to toil amid the busy throng with purpose pure and high two but god has fixed another part and he has fixed it well i said so with my bleeding heart when first the anguish fell three thou god hast taken our delight our treasured hope away thou bidst us now weep through the night and sorrow through the day four these weary hours will not be lost these days of misery, these nights of darkness, anguish tossed, can I but turn to thee 5. with a secret labour to sustain in a humble patience every blow. To gather fortitude from pain, And hope and holiness from woe. 6. Thus let me serve thee from my heart, Whatever may be my written fate, Whether thus early to depart, Or yet a while to wait. 7. If thou shouldst bring me back to life, More humbled I should be, More wise, more strengthened for the strife, more reft to lean on thee eight should death be standing at the gate thus should I keep my vow but lord whatever be my fate oh let me serve thee now end of section five